I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just sang, I will proclaim the glory of the risen Lord. And Lord, we pray that we would see your glory now as we uh, come to the scriptures, as we hear your word, as we uh, explore your word together. Lord, may Jesus be glorified and may be proclaimed in our lives, in our words, uh, in our actions. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from John's Gospel. It's on page 1082, if you're uh, following in one of the Bibles in the pews. I'm going to read uh, from the beginning of chapter 14, uh, and it's entitled, Jesus Comforts His Disciples. Jesus said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. There was an article in Christianity Today this week on this passage, so the author obviously knew what I was speaking about. Uh, he was called uh, John C. Richards, and he's a member of the Billy Graham Centre for Evangelism at Wheaton College. And he, he writes this. In today's culture, claims of exclusivity are met with the resistance of a tired toddler pushing back a plate of broccoli. Some of us have been there. This claim of exclusivity is especially true of religious claims. Religious pluralism is more palatable for Western society, and this worldview rules the day. Pluralism, as you know, uh, is the idea, the belief that there is more than one valid religion in the world, that no single uh, religion or worldview way of seeing the world has a monopoly on truth. Uh, one illustration is that there are many paths up the mountain, and when we reach the top, uh, we all come to the same place, though by different routes. Uh, and in a pluralistic world, Christianity finds itself in the firing line. Why? Well, Richards continues, this may well stem from the words of Christ. Perhaps the most nine disorientating words in scripture are found in John's gospel. These are those nine words. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think Richards is right. In my experience, and I'm sure in the experience of uh, many of us, if not all of us, conversations about faith get tricky when we get to this area of uh, exclusivity. 
just one way, just one truth, uh, just one life, and that way, truth, and life only being found in Jesus. Friends, family, and work colleagues might be intrigued by our Christian faith. They might even be envious of our Christian faith. On more than one occasion, somebody has said to me, I wish I had a faith like you. Friends and colleagues might speak warmly of Christians whom they've known. They might hear of the work of the church in this country in places like food banks or working alongside the poor and the dispossessed and think it's great that this happens. They might hear of the work of Christian Aid or Hands at Work and people working to relieve poverty in the poorest places of the world and say that is fantastic that Christians do that. But there is a sticking point, and the sticking point is this. Our friends may concede that Jesus is a way, that he is a truth, that he is a life. A way that many people find valuable, and that's fine. A truth that many people find helpful, and that is great for them. A life that many people find fulfilling, and that's wonderful. A way, a truth, a life. But to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. To say that no one can know God except through him. Well, that's a different matter entirely. And those who hear those words hear them as arrogant and bigoted and narrow-minded. How are we to respond to our friends and our family and our work colleagues uh, when we hit upon um, this issue? Three uh, things for us to think about this morning, I think. The first is this, and this one might surprise you. I think we need to accept the scandal of Jesus' words. The temptation is always to soft-pedal the exclusive words of Jesus. To settle for a a lesser, more comfortable, less challenging, more palatable, less confrontational gospel. But anything less than the full gospel of Jesus is no gospel at all. Anything less than the wholehearted good news of Jesus is simply fake news. The truth is, the claims of Jesus have always aroused alarm and have always led to derision. They've always sat uncomfortably with those who hear them. The gospel is scandalous. The message of Jesus is, in its very nature, scandalous. There's no getting around that. There's no hiding from that. There's no pulling back from that. The Apostle Paul writes in a letter to the Corinthian church, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. That word uh, stumbling block in Greek is scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal. Paul says the message of Jesus is a scandal to Jews and is foolishness to people who aren't Jews. 
Jesus was uncompromising in his message. Other religious figures taught a way to live. They taught a truth to be followed. They taught a life to be embraced. Muhammad says, follow the five pillars of Islam. Buddha says, follow the eightfold path to enlightenment. Marx says, follow the precepts of communism. And Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Other religious teachers are self-effacing. They point their followers away from themselves towards God. They lead their followers away from themselves to their teaching. They direct their followers away from themselves to another religious text. Jesus, time and again, points to himself. I'm the bread of life, he says. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. The great teaching that his, uh, the great question that his teaching led to time and again was this. Who do you say that I am? He claimed that Abraham, the one whom Jews and Christians and Muslims all looked to as their forefather, rejoiced to see his day. He claimed that Moses wrote of him, that the scriptures testified to him. He offered himself as a recipient of worship that was due to God alone. Every Christian must embrace this truth if we're to effectively share him with others. The gospel, because of its very nature, will offend some. There's no need to apologize for that or deviating or deviate from sharing the good news in its entirety. Of course, we want to share this message uh, winsomely, appropriately, In humility. We don't want to ridicule others' beliefs or their lack of belief. We don't want to judge or condemn the faith of others. We don't want to uh, criticize. We don't want to uh, challenge others' convictions or lifestyles. As Jesus himself said, let those who are without sin cast the first stone. But at the same time, let us hold on to the faith that has been entrusted to us. Throughout his ministry, Jesus proclaimed that to know him was to know God. To see him was to see God. To believe in him was to believe in God. To receive him was to receive God. To hate him was to hate God. To honor him was to honor God. How can we settle for anything less in our message? Some will receive this message with joy, as they did in Jesus' day. 
For others, it will arouse hostility, even anger, due to its inherently scandalous nature. Sometimes our faith conversations won't go well, and that's okay. On occasion, the crowds walked away from Jesus. At least twice, he was almost killed before he was crucified. His disciples were brought before the courts for their preaching. And their response was not to water down their message, but to continue into it. In Acts chapter 4, we see Peter and John before a law court. And they declare, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to all by which we must be saved. Our role is to be faithful in telling the story of Jesus. To plant and to water gospel seeds. And to trust the response to God. We need to accept the scandal of Christ's claims. And then secondly, we need to point to the character of Christ as well as the claims of Christ. Another one of those big uh, claims. Jesus said this, the Son of Man, when he is lifted up, will draw all people to himself. We need to lift up the character of Christ as well as making the claim for Christ. Jesus' life was exemplary, even if his claims were incendiary. What is it that drew you to Christ? What is it that keeps you in Christ's fellowship? What is it in the character of Christ that revealed God to you in a distinct way uh, from the character of others? I find it compelling that it's those who knew Jesus best who made the greatest claims for him. Those who ate and lived with him, who shared a common purse, who laboured side by side with him. Those who quarrelled with one another, who got on one another's nerves. Those disciples. It's they who make the greatest claims for Jesus. Those who know me best will tell you what I'm really like might be a little bit different from how I like to appear. It's Peter, Jesus' closest friend, who says he's the lamb without blemish. It's John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, who says that in him there was no sin. John Stott puts it like this. The moral perfection which was quietly claimed by him, confidently asserted by his friends, and reluctantly acknowledged by his enemies, is clearly seen in the Gospels. A little uh, later on today, we'll have a, a wedding ceremony here at St. Giles. And in that ceremony, I'll uh, read that famous reading uh, from 1 Corinthians. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. 
It's a, a, a homily to the power and nature of love. In Jesus, we see love incarnate. Point to his character as well as his claims. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil. He rejoices in the truth. Jesus never fails. Lift up the one who stooped low for us. Who's born of a lowly Hebrew mother in a dirty stable in the insignificant village of Bethlehem. He became a refugee baby in Egypt. He was brought up in the obscure hamlet of Nazareth. He toiled at a carpenter's bench to support his mother and the other children in their home. In due time, he became an itinerant preacher. He had few possessions, small comforts, and no home. He made friends with simple fishermen and publicans. He gave himself away to those on the edge of society. He had a ministry of healing, of serving, of teaching, of preaching. He was misunderstood. He was misrepresented. He became the victim of others' prejudices and vested interest. He was despised and rejected by his own people. He was betrayed by a confidant, deserted by his friends. He gave his back to be flogged, his face to be spat upon, his head to be crowned with thorns. His hands and his feet were nailed to a common Roman gallows. And as the cruel spikes were driven home, he prayed for his tormentors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was sinless because he was selfless. And such selflessness is love. And God is love. And found in him. Accept the scandal of the good news. Lift up the character of Christ as well as the claims of Christ. And finally, trust in him. Our reading begins with the words, trust in God, trust also in me. One of my uh, favourite TV series, in fact I think my favourite ever uh, TV series is The West Wing. Kind of uh, fly on the wall uh, from the 90s series, uh, looking at the life of uh, those around uh, President Bartlett in the United States, uh, centred around the West Wing, uh, the corridors of power. One of my favourite scenes is a scene between Leo and Josh. Leo is a grizzled old veteran. He's the president's right-hand man. He's the chief of staff. He's the fixer. He's the go-to guy. 
Josh is his deputy. He's idealistic. He's passionate. He's impulsive. He's a a political genius. And these two complement each other but are very different to one another. There's been a, a, a trauma in Josh, the younger one's life. And he's struggling with stress. Uh, we know it, but the, the, the story, the characters don't know that he has post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. This is revealing itself in him being uh, more and more erratic in his work. He's missing appointments. He's, uh, he's confronting people inappropriately. He's bursting into fits of rage. And eventually, uh, Leo confronts him. Confronts him by telling him this story. He says this. A guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by. And the guy shouts up, Hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along, and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in the hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps into the hole. And our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck in this hole. And the friend says, yep, but I've been down here before. And I know the way out. Then Leo turns to Josh and says, there's a job for you here as long as you need it. In the narrative of the story, you find out that Leo himself has suffered from post-traumatic stress. Leo himself is a recovering alcoholic. Leo himself is at times when he's gone to the very uh, bottom of the pit, but has found his way out. And he offers to do the same for his friend and colleague Josh. A friend jumps into the hole to lead a friend out. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. In Jesus, God climbs down to our level, that by his grace, he might raise us up to his. In the rest of these chapters in John's Gospel, Jesus will go on to talk about the gift of God's Holy Spirit, the counsellor, the comforter, The one who draws near, stands beside us and helps us. In John chapter 15, Jesus will say to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends. So let us come to the throne of grace in confidence that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let's accept the scandal of who Jesus is. Let's lift up his character as well as seeking to make his case. And let's trust in the one who said, trust in God. 
Trust also in me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your spirit you would seal these words into our hearts. You'd be for us not just a way, a truth, a life, but the way, the truth, the life. Give us the confidence to trust in you and to proclaim you in our actions and in our words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lee. Let's stand to join together now in what a beautiful name.